is in the book of Luke, chapter 9, starting at verse 28. And if you're looking in the church Bibles, it's on page 1039. 1039. The Transfiguration. About eight days after Jesus said this, He took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, It is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. As they were on. It's not a particularly long talk. You're probably glad to know you've had a, you've had a lot this morning already. And, uh, it's, it's great to pray for those who are going out, uh, to do various things. And, uh, we, we do pray blessing on, on you all as you go out. Um, <clears throat> just to set it in context a little bit about what we're looking at this morning, the transfiguration. We've, we've looked at the pastoral care series, uh, these last few weeks. And we're about to start Lent, as you know, on Wednesday. Uh, and sometimes, uh, it's good to go back to the lectionary. Uh, if you don't know what the lectionary is, you know, ask me afterwards, but it's good to go back to the lectionary, the set readings for the Church of England, basically. And, um, just to remind ourselves, we are a Church of England church, really. Uh, it's partly that, but it's, it's good to just, uh, be in step with our brothers and sisters across the world as they look at other readings that perhaps we haven't looked at. So that's a little bit about why we're looking at this reading. And, uh, if you haven't got it in front of you, it's Luke chapter 9. Verse 28 to 36, and uh, please do have that open before you as we look at that this morning. As I was thinking about how to start this off, I was thinking about how we um, make first impressions. And, uh, you know, as, as human beings, we do. We, we uh, make a judgment about someone straight away. As soon as we meet someone, we make that we had that first impression meeting and that sort of first impression kind of, uh, if you like, judgment about who somebody is. Uh, I remember clearly the 
day that I uh, was here to be interviewed, and uh, I had to go through various things on that day. I had to preach a sermon uh, to a gathered congregation. Some of you may have even been at that. Uh, I had to go down to the school and, and do an assembly, and I had to, m- Debbie and I mingle with people and had tea and cake and lunch and all that. And then I, of course, was interviewed. And it just brought back to me this sort of first impression. I wonder what they made of me on that day. Well, don't ask, you don't ask me now, but, <laughs> um, what, what is, the first impressions are important, aren't they? You know, so I made sure my shoes are clean. I made sure I, you know, was well prepared and had a shower and all these other things. Um, but it's important, isn't it? But we do make a first impression on, on people. And, and so this reading in Luke chapter nine, it's, it's picking up that, that theme of, well, I wonder what the disciples' first impressions of Jesus were. And then on this occasion, their idea of Jesus is radically challenged. Radically, they've had to now rethink about who is this man? And they, they see beyond the visible into the invisible realm. And we'll think about that in a moment. Uh, I don't know about you, but I love the C.S. Lewis Narnia Chronicles. An amazing series of books. And in one of his books, uh, in that series, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, uh, is that lovely, and he's in other, other, other uh, books in the series, but you've got this valiant mouse called Reepicheep. And Reepicheep has an ambition of getting to the edge of the world, to, to reach beyond the edge of the world and what's there. And so he says this is part of the story. He makes his aim clear. He says, I quote, my own plans are made. While I can, I sail east in the dawn treader. When she fails me, I paddle east in my coracle. When she sinks, I shall swim east with my four paws. And when I can swim no longer, if I have not reached Aslan's country or shot over the edge of the world into some vast cataract, I shall sink with my nose to the sunrise. So he's, C.S. Lewis is helping us to kind of, he's summing up this yearning for the unseen, that, that yearning that people have humanity has for the well there must be something more there's a there's this this next place or there's the unseen place the spiritual realm that is out there that we can't see and in the story as he reaches the the edge of the world this is how it is described the coracle went more and more quickly and beautifully it rushed up the waveside for one split second they saw its shape and reaper cheeps on the very top. Then it vanished. And since that moment, no one can truly claim to have seen Reepy Cheep the mouse. But my belief is that he came safe to Aslan's country and is alive there to this day. One thing I find encouraging about the disciples is how slow they are. (laughs) It takes them a long time to work out who Jesus is. Things like, who is he? And what is he there to do? And if you remember Mark's, Mark's gospel that we think is the earliest gospel, written probably about 20 years, maybe 30 years after the resurrection, it gives you that idea of, well, it takes them that long to begin to work out that actually Jesus wasn't just a man, he was God as well. But no wonder that they are dazed and confused as they are on this mountain. Peter, James, and John are on this mountain with Jesus. Because they have begun to get to know him. They, they, they've walked around Galilee. 
Uh, they've seen him do some amazing miracles already. They've, they've heard him teach some amazing things. And they're beginning to get an idea of who he is. And then they're on this mountain. There, this is a miraculous transformation that goes on in front of their very eyes. Jesus' face changes. His clothes, uh, Luke says, become as bright as a flash of lightning. And, and Jewish readers, as they would have read this, they would have, they would have been thinking, oh, you know, this is the, some appearance of the angel of the Lord, because in the Jewish scriptures, that's as near as you get, really, to, to someone uh, appearing from God. And yet here, Luke is describing Jesus is being transformed, transfigured into, or, you know, that the, the, it's sort of whatever uh, is in the way is taken away. That they, they are, they are seeing Jesus in his true glory. And Luke, of course, describes not only Jesus present, but two other figures there as well. You've got two of the most important figures of the Old Testament present with Jesus. You have Moses. Moses who, uh, brought the people of Israel out of Egypt. Moses who goes up to Mount Sinai, receives the Ten Commandments in this amazing encounter with God. Uh, there on that occasion. Moses, who sees and, and speaks to God face to face. And now Moses is there again in the presence of God. And of course, Elijah as well. Elijah is the most important prophet of the Old Testament, the one who uh, is described never dies, but is taken up into heaven. Uh, the one who is uh, the prefigures Jesus as, as prophet. And uh, Elijah, in fact, even now, if you go to a Jewish household for a Passover meal, there is a space kept for Elijah because they believe that he is there present with them at that table. So Moses and and Elijah, two two important figures, very important figures from the Old Testament, are there with Jesus and yet deferring to Jesus. And they come and stand and talk with Jesus as his glory is revealed. The bringer of the old covenants, the one who heralds God's coming, are there in the presence of Jesus as his glory is revealed. Now, you might think that's enough for the, the disciples to think, oh, something's going on. But no, they're drowsy. They're sleepy. You know, they could just sort of, you know, they're kind of waking up and, and, and Peter, you know, makes this rather bizarre comment about building shelters. But it's, it's, it's a, it's an amazing, Encounter, and not only that, you've got you've got Jesus, you've got Moses, you've got Elijah, and then you have a cloud that comes down upon them, and you have a voice from heaven saying, "This is my Son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him." Now, to all intents and purposes, this is a, this is like a normal mountain. It is a normal mountain. It's no different from any other. But suddenly, God's presence is there. Everything is changed as Jesus' presence becomes more fully known and seen. Heaven touches earth, and for a short time the glory of God is revealed. So did heaven descend, or did the the mountain go up? Well, I don't think either, actually. I think it's that curtain between the two realms is taken away. It's kind of like parted for a moment, and they could see into the heavenly realms. Now, just using a, a fairly sort of um, mundane example, if you like, but I think we can get a hold of this. Um, I was away on retreat this week up in Harrogate, and uh, 
as you know, I would obviously driven away from the village because I'm not in Harrogate for the retreat, so I'm going, to, going away. And so as I drove away from the village of Basin Hill, I would have gone down to the A5 and turned left uh, and along away up to, onto the route up to, up north. Now, as I drove away from Basin Hill, I could see the houses in my rearview mirror, and as I drove further away, I couldn't see them anymore. But does that mean the village has gone? Does that mean the village is no, is no longer there? Well, of course not. It's still there. It's just I can't see it. And that's the same with the spiritual realm. It, it, it's because we can't see it, it's still there. It's just that we don't often see it, and we very often don't even look for it. And I think one of the sad, sad things is that we, we don't remember the closeness of the spiritual world. And I say we advisedly there because I include myself. Day-to-day life can be difficult. It, it's, it is mundane. You know, we, we do the shopping, we do the chores, we go to our, our uh, places of work. You know, we have various things that we need to do. We can't necessarily focus all the time on the spiritual world. And so, therefore, we forget it's there. Things get us down, weigh us down. But the presence of God is still there. hasn't been taken away from us. We may not be on the mountaintop with Jesus, but the spiritual realm is still as real, even so. Basin Hill, we can hear the, ta- we can hear the sound of the road, we can hear the sound of the A5, we can hear the sound of the traffic. We can't see it necessarily, but we can hear it. So what are the sounds of heaven that are carried on the wind? Where are the glimpses through that curtain? Well, I think the challenge is to keep our eyes and ears open. To keep our spiritual eyes open and our spiritual ears open. To see where God is at work. To listen out for where God is at work. And sometimes it's as simple as remembering, remembering God's presence and purpose in our daily lives. Um, going back to Ruth, that uh, series we had on Ruth at the beginning of the year. And that, that amazing phrase in Ruth where it says, it just so happened. It just so happened. That's those providential moments. When Ruth met Boaz. But it's God working, isn't it? It's God bringing those two people together. And it's the same in your life and in my life. It's God working to bring those providential encounters together. So there may have been a a moment this week. You may have thought, well, okay, uh, I met my neighbor and you were able to share your faith. Or there was somebody who was just around the corner and you blessed them with uh, uh, maybe a, uh, some shopping or a meal. And that was God bringing that encounter into being. He was there blessing that, pres- that, that encounter. And these events in Luke chapter 9 follow on from Peter declaring who Jesus is. If you go back a little bit in chapter 9, you'll see that there's a, a flow in, Luke, in Luke's gospel. Uh, Peter has uh, recognized, declared that Jesus is the Messiah. So if you go back to verse 18, you'll see that it says Jesus is praying and his disciples are with him. And then he says, who do the people say I am? Who do the crowds say I am? And they say, well, John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others that you're one of the prophets long ago. And then he looks at them and says, what about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are God's Messiah. 
It's a statement of faith. There's a bold declaration that, Je- that he is the Messiah of God. And it's, it's, it's helping us to, to see that actually what we see depends on what we believe. What we see depends on what we believe and not the other way around. Because Peter uh, saw that Jesus is the Messiah. He'd seen Jesus going around healing people. He'd been teaching about the kingdom of God. And Peter says, I have seen that and I believe you are the Messiah. Now at this point, I want to bring in two other scriptures because I think this will help us to just to get a grip with a little bit more about what's going on in the transfiguration and it'll help us to see how these this passage can apply to our lives. So um, in, the, in the first service, I'd asked for this to be on the screen. I'm apologizing. I didn't get to John to do this before the service. But uh, if you'd like to turn up to Exodus chapter 34, first of all. So uh, in your Bible, Exodus chapter 34. And uh, it's verse 29 to 32. Okay, please, if you've got a page number, please just shout it out because my, it's, that's 90, page 94, so that's Exodus 34. And then the other one to have uh, a look at is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and that's verse 12. So again, if we could have a page number, please shout it out, that would be useful. When you've, so one, one, page 1160 for that other reading, okay? So Exodus 34. Let me read that passage to you. Verse 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him, and he spoke to them. Afterwards, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands of the Lord had given to him on Mount Sinai. Okay, so keep your keep your finger in that one, and then turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. And I'll read to verse 18. Paul says, St. Paul says, Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil comes over their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, that is not an easy reading to interpret. So you'd have to read that a few times to, to get hold of what Paul is saying. But let, let's try and see how these two passages help us uh, with the gospel reading. Uh, basically, the Exodus passage, uh, maybe strangely, helps us with the 2 Corinthians passage. Let's, let's see how that works. 
In the Exodus reading, if you've got that in front of you, you'll, you'll see that the face of Moses shines with the glory of God. Because Moses has been in the presence of God, and so his face takes on its transfigured, uh, you know, it literally shines with the glory of God as he's talking with God. And so Moses displays something of the glory and the power of God. And it says so much so that the people around him are frightened of him. Uh, you know, the divine, you know, is awesome uh, and can instill fear. And we didn't read this, but so much so that uh, Moses had to hide his face other than when he's speaking the words of the Lord. Now, Paul, in the other one, 2 Corinthians, he picks up that story of Moses and he reinterprets it. Again, with respect to the glory of God and to Moses and to ourselves. Now, I think part of this, I think part of the struggle we have with this um, is that, you know, we can get a little bit down and disheartened by not seeing the glory of God. You know, we don't, we don't very often see the glory of God and we don't see God's presence around us. But Paul actually, it's a difficult reading, but actually he's encouraged, he's trying to encourage us. He's trying to say, you know, you can do this. You, you can, you can experience the glory of God. Now, to, to get it, okay, a little bit more work, I'm afraid, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 to 11, Paul lays out how that works. We didn't read this, but basically he's saying that the law comes from God. The law came from the glorious presence of God. But Jesus, says Paul, Jesus brings salvation. He doesn't bring the law. He brings salvation with even greater glory that outweighs Moses. And the good news that Jesus brought, the relationship that we can have with God the Father through the Holy Spirit, is greater than anything that Moses could offer, which is the background to the reading we just read. So this is where 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12 starts, really. It's in the context of a greater revelation from God, we are told. Therefore, says Paul, therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Because, because the, the blessing and the grace of God shown to us in Christ makes us bold. Should make us bold. We have every reason to be bold. We might, you might even say you have every reason to be boastful. Now, be careful how you say that, but we've got every reason to be boastful because of what God has given to us in Jesus Christ. The difference he makes in our lives. The difference that he can make in the lives of those around us. And so Paul is encouraging us and saying, you can be bold in discerning the hand of the works of God. There's no need to be hesitant. No need to be uncertain. You can be bold in sharing Jesus with your friends, with your neighbors, with your colleagues, with your family. You can be bold. However, being human, human beings, we can feel a little bit kind of like, oh, well, hang on. I, I'm just little old me. I live, I live on Glebe Road. I live on whatever, you know, avenue. I live on this close. How can I do that? How can I make a difference to God where I am? How can I clearly see what God is up to myself? How can I be bold in sharing Jesus with those around me who don't believe in him? 
you know, vicar, it's all very well talking about Moses and Elijah and, you know, all these amazing Old Testament people. But what about me? How can I do that? What help is that to me? Well, this is, again, where, where Paul really helps us. And he says, actually, more than you think. Because he says, each and every one of us who loves the Lord, who worships the Lord, who worships God in Jesus Christ, is already showing his glory. You might want to underline this in your Bible. Get out the highlighter. Whatever you want to do with it, just get hold of it. Paul says, we who with unfailed faces all reflect the Lord's glory and are being transformed into his glory. Now, whether you, whether you get that or not, whether you believe that or not, it's true. Whether you recognize that or, or dare to believe that that is true, it is true. You and I are already reflecting the glory of God to those that we meet, simply in being faithful to Jesus. You might think you're strong in faith, you might think you're weak in faith, but you are a beacon for Jesus Christ wherever you are. And you don't need to go to the top of Mount Sinai. You don't need to go to the top of Mount Tabor or Mount Hermon. You just meet God where you are. Now, there's a little bit more to it than that. Uh, it's difficult to notice change in someone, isn't it? Those that you're close to. Say, for example, say for example. Uh, I'm not even going to look at anyone at this point. Say, for example, your partner is on a diet. Because you are with them all the time, you may not notice that, that they're losing a bit of weight. However, somebody else comes along and says, oh, you're looking a bit thinner, but you haven't noticed it because you're with them all the time. And it's not a very good example, but it'll do. It's the same with the glory of God shining through you. You may not notice it, but God is shining through you. He is shining through you. You are displaying the glory of God as you are being faithful to him. And it's incremental. It's little by little, bit by bit change. That's what, that is what God is doing in us. Little by little change. God is displaying his glory through you to those around you. We with unfailed faces all reflect the glory of God and are being transformed into his glory. So I hope that helps you to be a little bit bold. I hope that helps you to be a little bit more confident in sharing your faith, in, tra- in, in your transformation as God is transforming you. God is at work. He may be hidden by the, by the mundane, but he is at work. And we need to be bold in sharing our faith, don't we? We need to be bold. Because we live in a generation, we're living in generations where People really don't see Jesus. The, the worldview around us, the culture around us really is putting Jesus in a box and saying, let's keep him there. Curtain him off. Keep him out of sight. Keep him in the manger. Keep him as a good man. That's fine. Any more than that, they don't want to know. So that's where we come in. You and I, as disciples of Jesus, that's where you and I come in because we are being transformed into the glory of God, transformed into his glory. And so therefore, we communicate that to the world around us. And we share our story with those around us. So that's a privilege, that's a call. That is the privilege that's on our life, to display the glory of God 
to help people see through the mundane into the world of the Spirit and to experience the love, the grace, and the mercy of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we cry out to you. Still our hearts, Lord, we pray. Lord, help us to hear the the small, still voice of God. Help us to make space in our day for you. Help us, prevent us, Lord, from rushing around from one thing to the next. Help us to be quiet with you. Help us to hear your voice. Help us to discern what you're doing in our lives and the lives of those around us. Because, Lord, you've given us that amazing mission, that amazing mandate to share the gospel of the glory of God. Lord, remind us of that day by day. Empower us with your spirit. Make us bold to share the gospel of Jesus. And in his name we pray. Amen.